so much for the privilege of knowing you and loving you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've called us to be disciples. And Lord, we want to set our face towards you uh, again today as we approach Christmas and this time of year. Uh, thank you for the incredible good news of Jesus coming into the world. And Lord, we're excited uh, by this season and we pray that many others will come to know you too. But until you come again for the second time, Lord, we pray that we will continue to follow you and that we will not look back, but we will put our trust in you, Jesus, and day by day walk after you and follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. How are you today? You well? Few people out there are. Great to see you. Great to be with you. I've been looking forward to coming to the People's Church and uh, catching up with my old friend Stefan. He's expecting me to be, you know, rude to him because he was rude to me just now, but I'm not going to do that. I just want to bless him and Shannon and, you know, the family and uh, uh, say he's a great guy and what a blessing he is to the church and everything. So uh, that's my way of getting back at you. But. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm uh, Tim Robertson. I uh, live in Bristol, so I've come over the Cotswolds this morning. Beautiful drive. I'm married to one wife. I've got three children, 34, 30, and 28. Funny names, but we like them. And I've also got, I've also got two grandchildren, which I know that you're finding that hard to believe looking at me this morning. Not enough surprise there. Okay. But uh, I've got this um, great job. I think it's the best job in the world. I get to speak up for children who don't have a voice. The Bible says, defend the cause of the poor and the needy. Speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. And uh, so I work for this incredible organization, Compassion uh, UK, which is part of Compassion International. And uh, me and my wife have been sponsoring kids for 30 years now. And I've been working for them uh, after many years in Christian ministry and pastoring, planting churches. I've been working for them for the last 10 years. Uh, because I believe that this is the heart of God. One of our core values is that uh, compassion is Christ-centered. This is about Jesus. This is about releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Uh, from Genesis to Revelation, you see the heart of God for justice and mercy and compassion. This is what our God is like. And, uh, you know, I'm privileged to, uh, to serve in this way, but it's also child-focused. We want to do everything that we can to advance the development of a child uh, in order that they might become the movers and the shakers and the people who turn the situation around. And uh, today we see many, many children having gone through our programs uh, doing just that. But it's also church-based. And as uh, Stefan rightly uh, put out earlier on, that this is all about the local church being empowered to be able to serve Jesus and to bless and to build into their communities. So when you see a project like that in Togo and a project that I want to tell you about a little bit later uh, in Togo as well, because that's where as a team you feel uh, that you'd like to focus, um, you can uh, literally help that church, that, uh, that pastor, those leaders to be able to reach out with the love of Jesus and demonstrate the love of God in such a way that makes such an incredible difference. If you don't know much about Compassion, Compassion's been going for uh, well over 65 years. In that time, nearly two million children have gone through our programs and their lives have been changed forever. And currently, over two million children are registered on over 7,000 projects in 25 developing nations across three continents. Uh, and uh, 
Uh, it's just amazing what is happening in the world today, and, and some of you are a part of that. Thank you for sponsoring a child, for investing your time, your money, your letters into making a difference to those children. If you don't write letters, can I encourage you to do that? Because it's such an important part of that child's development. And uh, you'll see on the table out there some just some little cards about downloading our app which will just make life even easier. You can see your child on there, write a few lines, all that kind of thing. But uh, um, we really do value uh, what you are uh, doing and uh, the way that you are uh, helping uh, these children to have an opportunity to be all that God wants them to be. If you have a Bible, just turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And you'll know this story very well. But while you're doing that, uh, I wonder what your perception of poverty actually is. You see, so many people have a different perception of different things, and, and uh, if we went around the room today, it would mean something different to everybody. It reminds me of the story of this general and his lieutenant who are coming home from the war, and uh, they get to the train station. It's absolutely packed out, but they get on the train. They find the last two seats in a carriage opposite this elderly grandmother and a young granddaughter. There's a little bit of small talk, the train pulls out, and after a, uh, a little while, it goes through a, a tunnel, and for about 10 seconds, it's pitch black in the tunnel, and the only sound that could be heard is the sound of a kiss and the sound of a slap. And everyone in the carriage had their own perspective, perception of what had actually happened. You see, the young lady thought to herself, well, I'm flattered that the lieutenant kissed me, but I'm really embarrassed that grandmother hit him. Grandmother thinks to herself, well, I'm really aggravated that that young man kissed my granddaughter, but I'm glad she had the courage to retaliate. The, uh, the general thought to himself, fair play to my lieutenant for kissing that young lady, but why did she hit me instead? And the young lieutenant uh, was the only one who knew what happened. You see, in that brief moment of darkness, he had the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl and to slap his general. <laughs> Diff different perceptions. And, and as I say, we, we've probably all got different perceptions about what poverty uh, really means. Some, some would say, well, it's not really that bad. It's just the media. It's just the charities trying to get more money, showing us these films. Uh, how can it be that bad in the 21st century? Another perception is, well, it's their own fault. You know, if their governments weren't so corrupt, then, you know, there's enough food for everybody and charity begins at home. Another perception is, well, it's God's judgment. If, if they uh, hadn't turned away from God, then, uh, you know, they, the blessing of God would still be there, and it's their own fault. So it's God's judgment. Another one is, well, it's too big to do anything about. You, we keep throwing money at this issue, but nothing ever changes. That's another perception I hear. But then there's another one I hear, is that, yeah, it's big, but tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You know, and for us in Compassion, we believe it's one child at a time. We can impact a child which will impact their family. And as we do that together, corporately, touching the lives of children and families in a community, we can see community transformation, and, and that's what's happening. So if you have your Bible, you'll know this story. It's verse 25. On one occasion, a, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, 
beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, uh, and where he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have had. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus said? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Well, there was these three different guys, different kind of uh, responses, different perceptions, I guess, to the need that they saw. One man goes on a journey, he's beaten up, he's left half dead. Uh, He needs a neighbor, he needs a friend. Uh, So a, a priest comes along. Now, you'd expect this guy, a religious person, to be able to stop and uh, help this guy. But no, he thinks, well, I'm too late for church. I need to get to the temple. I need to represent God before the people and the people before God. So I'm sure someone else will come along. Well, somebody else did come along, and it was another religious person. This time it was a Levite. Now, the Levite sees blood, and he thinks, I'm not even crossing the road. I can't you know, get anywhere near that because I've already begun to uh, do the ceremonial washings and cleansings to make myself right to be able to make the sacrifices. So I can't get near to this guy, but I'm sure God will send somebody else. Well, somebody else did come along. Now, this guy you could almost forgive for going by on the other side because he was a Samaritan. And the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. I guess the guy on the ground was thinking, well, he's not going to stop for me, but he's the one who did. He responded differently. He got his hands dirty. He went to him and ministered to this person and showed him friendship. Martin Luther King said this, that the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reverses the question, and he says, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Now, that's a really good question to ask, isn't it? Even today, in our world, in our time, if we don't stop as the church of Jesus and get involved in the needs and the lives of people who are broken, who are hurting, who are empty, who are lost, who are lonely, if we don't stop, those of us who represent Jesus and are his hands and feet here on the earth, if we don't stop and get involved, what will happen to them? What will happen to them? This is the mission of the church, isn't it? And uh, we have a responsibility uh, to reach out with the love of Jesus. Now, Jesus tells this story to illustrate what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, can I tell you this morning, church, that that is a discipleship issue, okay? That's loving God and responding to God in every aspect of our being, loving him with everything that we've got. You know, disciples 
want to please God in every way. Disciples want to follow Jesus in every way. They want to give not just a Sunday or a Tuesday night or a home group meeting to him. They want to give their lives to him uh, and say, God, you've done so much for me. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to do what pleases you. I love your, um, uh, your strap line here to follow Jesus uh, together to change the world. To follow Jesus, that's discipleship. Together is about unity. To change the world is about mission. So we're on the right track this morning, and uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit about discipleship in this context and see how the Good Samaritan can teach us a few things about doing just that. So here's four things I want to share with you this morning, if you're taking notes. Four things. Number one, he chose to see the need. He chose to see the need. He was intentional about it. See, the man was moved in his soul. See, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He didn't close his eyes to the need like so many people do today uh, and like others did at that time, the priest and the Levite. He chose to see the need and he got involved. Can I tell you that that's what Jesus does? He always sees the need. And we may be a crowd here this morning, but Jesus sees the individual. Jesus sees your need. And whatever has been going on in your week this week, you know, if it's a thumbs-up week, that's good. He still sees and rejoices with you. If it's been a thumbs-down week, you know, God knows your heart. He knows your pain. He knows your situation. And he wants to come alongside you and minister to you today. And you're part of a body. There are others that want to minister to you and encourage you today. So uh, don't go from this place in the same way. Jesus sees your need today. He's heard your cry. Maybe you thought, well, he's forgotten me, but he hasn't forgotten you. He knows your cry. He sees your need. He understands completely your situation, and he wants to minister to you. But not just that. We need to see the needs of our community, of Banbury, of the wider community. And I guess as a church, you're involved in different areas, reaching into the heart's and the lives of people, but then I guess it's looking more nationally as well, but then internationally, to the ends of the earth, we have a responsibility, don't we? And seeing the needs that are around us, and we hear every day needs uh, on the news, don't we? And it breaks our hearts, but we don't know what we can do about some of these situations. Can I tell you today that 17,000 children will die of easily preventable causes? 17,000 children, and yesterday and tomorrow, and next week. You see, this is the situation for many in our world today who face a daily challenge of survival. 17,000 kids dying of measles, malaria, malnutrition-related causes, diarrhea, all kinds of stuff. Simple things that we can get a shot in the arm or take some medicine over the counter uh, and, and deal with and get through, but because of poverty and what it does in a person's life, these things you know, are inaccessible to so many people. Can I tell you that nearly a billion people will go to bed hungry tonight, just longing for sleep so that they can get rid of that feeling in their stomach. The 800 million people lack access to safe, clean water. Uh, we are so blessed, aren't we? And uh, I, I've got this water here. I can just take a drink and uh, and I guess, you know, we've woken up this morning, we've put the tap on, we've had a shower or a bath, or uh, we've filled a kettle, we've got access to clean water, but 800 million people don't have that access. I was just in Rwanda, uh, got back on Tuesday, and the average time for uh, often 
young girls is to uh, is five kilometers a day to 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 bring heavy uh, canisters of water back to the family a couple of times a day, and if you've ever been to Rwanda, you'll know it's very very hilly. The ch- daily challenge. But in some parts of the world, it's not just the fact that they don't have access to safe, clean water. It's, it's the dangers that lurk out there as a result of that. So imagine a young lady who's having to walk and now she's vulnerable, coming back with a heavy uh, you know, um, canister of water. And somebody takes advantage. And now nobody wants her because she's corrupted. So sometimes in some cultures, there's an honor marriage where the uh, violator will uh, marry Uh, the girl because nobody else will have her. Now she's subject to abuse all through her adolescence. By the age of 14, she may have her first child. By the age of 16, she may have her second child. By the age of 18, she may have HIV AIDS. And then the baby that's inside her has also got HIV AIDS. By the age of 22, she's dead. Why? Because she didn't have access to safe, clean water. You see, the problems are compounded. Uh, you know, it's not just the reality of a situation, but it's everything else that spins off from that. 2.4 billion people don't have access to a safe place to go to the toilet in dignity. I've got two toilets, one up, one down. Uh, it's, it's not a problem, but many, many people face danger, murder, robbery, violence, rape, because of the vulnerability of being able to go to the toilet. This is the lives of the poor. And and that's the reality. You say, Tim, I didn't come to church to hear all of this stuff. I wanted to be encouraged, you know, in the Word of God to to live as a disciple. But living as a disciple means sharing God's heart and understanding what touches Him. And these are some of the needs in our world today. The, The list goes on. 130 million girls not in education tomorrow who would love to change places with our children and young people and have that opportunity. The list goes on, but uh, we won't labor that. You know, loving God with, all, uh, with, our, uh, with everything means allowing him to touch our emotions and to saturate our souls with compassion so that when we see broken humanity, the love of Christ wells up and causes us to respond rather than to retreat. So do we close our eyes in fear or do we clo- open our eyes in faith? You know, uh, with the knowledge that we have something that can make a difference into their lives. Here's the second thing. He answered the cry. See, it wasn't enough to see the need and have pity, but he chose to answer the cry. He chose to do something about it. James tells us that it's one thing to have faith, but faith without deeds is not faith at all. So we can say lots of good things, but will we put those words into practice? The word says that he went to him. Now, this time... We need to love God not just with our souls and our emotions, but with our minds. Because when you love God with your mind, it involves a conscious act of the will. This is discipleship. So you could be moved by what you see on a screen today or hear, but actually to love God with our minds is to yield our minds to him and to be obedient to his will. It says that he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and, and he brought comfort to this needy man. He got involved. Here's a verse, Proverbs 21, 13. It says this, If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Ooh, I don't like verses like that. They're hard, aren't they, Christoph? I like verses like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Or, you know, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, I want those ones. I want those verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then 
you know, he kind of slips in these verses that are a bit uncomfortable. If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Ooh, that's a bit hard, God. Don't you love me? Don't you want to bless me? Well, yes, I do. You're my child. I want to bless you, but I want you to understand my heart. I want you to follow the pattern. We'll come back to that one a little bit later. So the Samaritan was aware of the danger and the inconvenience, but he reached out anyway. Here's the third thing. He refused to give up. So he chose to see the need. He answered the cry, but this time he refused to give up. So he didn't just patch him up on the side of the road and think, well, box ticked. Somebody else can do the next part. No, he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and there he looks after him. But when he's got to go off on business, he pays the innkeeper two days' wages and says, uh, look after him until I return, and on my return, I will reimburse you for anything extra that it's incurred. You see, this time, when we love God with all our strength, then we will follow through in our commitment by doing whatever it takes. See, he, he, he wanted to see it through to the end. He didn't just want to tick a box or do his bit. He wanted to see... Hope restored and a, a broken person uh, fully come back to uh, wholeness. Do you know, sometimes in life we start with good intentions, don't we? Maybe a new ministry or, or whatever it may be. We get excited about things and, and, and then opposition comes or criticism or we didn't, don't see the fruit that we wanted to so soon or it gets hard work or others drop out of the team and, 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 and it gets difficult and we think, well, maybe God's not saying it. We lay that thing down. Maybe that's a word for somebody this morning. Don't give up until God tells you to. You know, don't lay something down prematurely because the breakthrough could be just around the corner. Too many people missed out on God's best because they laid down what uh, uh, he had put into their hands. Don't give up. Keep on going. Just as you started well, the Apostle Paul says, finish well. Be eager to finish well. Just going back to some of those stats I mentioned earlier on, back in the 80s that we used to say 40,000 children died every day of easily preventable causes. Now it's 17,000. Now that's still tragic. But you can see the difference. Some would say, oh, you know, it's too big to do anything about. But nothing ever changes. Can I tell you, church, it's changing all the time. In 1981, 52% of the world's population lived in abject poverty. Now it's only 26%. So we halved it in a generation. So is that good news this morning? You're looking at me a little bit serious. Come on, give me some help me here, help me. That's good news, isn't it? Praise God. And as we get involved, as the church gets involved, as organizations and charities and governments get involved, we can see change happen. And it's changing all the time. Now, the Bible says that there will always be poor in the land. But it's about getting people out of abject poverty. Those who live below $1.90 a day, that's what the World Bank stipulates or puts that level of poverty at, and seeing them lifted above that. And when you invest in a child, you can help that child, but not just that child, that family, be lifted out of poverty in Jesus' name. And hope begins to come because they get to know Jesus. Last year, 158,000 kids gave their lives to Jesus across our programs. That's amazing, isn't it? Anyone happy about that? Come on, People's Church. 158,000 people, children, caregivers, church is growing. So this isn't just about sponsoring Prosper or sponsoring Rabbi. 
at £25 a month, soon to be £28 in April. So this is a good time to start. You know, uh, this is about investing in a child who can become the future hope of their community and turn things around, who can get their family out of, uh, out of problems and, and difficulties as well. The list goes on about some of these stats. It's changing all the time. We can change it. Martin Luther King said that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability, but it comes through the tireless efforts of men and women willing to be co-workers with God. You know, when we do our bit, God will do his bit, and we're in partnership with him. Here's the fourth thing. Can I share one more thing with you? Is that okay? It's got 27 points. All right, here's the first point. No, 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 it hasn't really. I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a joke. Okay. So he was the key to bringing life. He was the key to bringing life. You know, the Good Samaritan wasn't hindered by the difference of this man because he wanted to make a difference to this man. See, he had the heart to make a difference to this man. He, he was willing to cross the political and the racial and the social and the cultural barriers and prejudices and the fear of the unknown because he saw someone with a need and he realized, well, I've got the resources to be able to meet that need. This time, when we love God with all our hearts, then nothing that we have will be held back from him. You know, because everything belongs to him already. It will be freely available for the Lord to use our time, our money, our abilities, our whole lives. David, the king in the Bible, he said this, everything that I have comes from you anyway. So I just give it all back. And, 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 and this discipleship thing is about just being a steward of the resources that God has given. So when he says, give it up, or I need to borrow that, I, I have need of this, or I want you to invest in that, then that's what we do as disciples. It's not mine, but it's yours, Lord Jesus. And he had the heart to make a difference into that situation. If you're a Christian today, then Christ is living in you. Hallelujah. What an incredible treasure that is that needs to be shared with those around us. You know, that, that jar of clay might be broken open and the life of God, the grace of Jesus, just spilled out into the lives of the, the last and the least and the, the lost, the lonely, the empty, the broken, the, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those who stand on the wrong side of, of justice, those who need a neighbor, those who need a friend. Do you know, the priest represents religion and the Levite represents ritual. And can I tell you, God hates both. In fact, the only religion that God sees as being pure and true is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, James tells us. And, and for many years we forgot this part of the verse, it was all about our lives and making sure that we lived in holiness and all the rest of it, and to look after widows and orphans in their distress, the whole social action of the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's not just about my righteousness that I stand in and the justice that I've received, but it's about extending that justice. It's about extending that grace and that mercy, that compassion that has been shown to me at Calvary. Amen? So uh, religion and ritual. In Isaiah 58, God gets very angry with the religious and those who like rituals. You know, God, we've prayed and we've fasted, but you've not heard our cry. You, 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 you don't want to bless us. We've done everything right. And God gets angry and he shouts. And when God shouts, he wants to get our attention. He says, on the day of your fast, you exploit your workers 
And you climb on the backs of the poor and you don't defend their rights. You're greedy for gain. Is not this the kind of fast that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to give food to the hungry and shelter to the stranger and clothes to the naked and not to turn the stranger away? Then your light will rise. Then your healing will come. You see, it goes back to that whole verse in Proverbs. If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. See, this is the heart of God. And he says, church, I want you to catch my heart and, and put that first. And when you're seeking me, are you seeking your fellow man? Are you looking out for other people as well? You know, the Samaritan represented friendship. And the poor need a friend. The poor need a friend. Someone who will reach out and grab the hold of that child, that person, and, and lead them across that line of poverty, that line, that lie of poverty that just keeps on going at them saying, you're nothing, you're worthless, you're rubbish, you're hopeless, you're never going to amount to anything. Every time they get to that line to try and cross it, the enemy would just uh, speak those words of, of lies into their spirit that says you're, you're going to end up just how your mum was and your grandma and your great-grandma. This is the way it is. You're never going to break through. But when the poor get a friend. When somebody holds their hand and says, come on, we'll cross this together. I'm with you. I'm with you in this. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to write to you. I'm going to encourage you. We're going to, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to give you a, an education and access to healthcare and all of that stuff. And together, we're going to get this thing sorted. And you are going to have an opportunity at life. They can break free uh, through that situation when there's friendship. Well, time is going on, but look, I just want you to watch the screen just a moment. And I just want you to see, just briefly, the stories of four of our young people who've come right through the program. This is called One Act. Then I'm going to jump back up. I'm going to tell you just a, a short story. The t uh, band are going to come up as well. And we're going to just uh, bring this thing to a close. So if we could just watch the screen, that would be fantastic. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. My friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly, you will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am. A child rescued from hopelessness. 
My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. In one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's why we do this. It's all about Jesus. You know, those guys are incredible. They're doing some world-changing things. The last guy to speak is Richmond. Uh, he's from Uganda. I spoke to him two or three years ago. I said, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be the president of Uganda. He probably will be. This guy has just built a Bible college. Uh, he runs a pastor's network of 600 pastors in Kampala. Uh, they're now training hundreds of people to go out into Africa and beyond with the message of the gospel. He saw his father murdered. He was a write-off. But God saw something in Richmond. The others have got stories as well. Uh, too little time to tell those stories. But uh, I do want to tell you one story. About um, a couple of years ago, I was in a project in Ethiopia. And um, I was with a church who had entered into a partnership uh, just like you. They sponsor nearly 300 children now. Uh, in this project in Ethiopia. And we had like a fun day with the kids. So the team were there and they kind of split up and some were playing football and some were skipping and some were running races. Others were playing volleyball with the children. And it was just a picture of joy and happiness. The kids just love being in that place where they're valued and accepted and, and loved. And uh, I found myself with about 30 children. They were maybe five, six years of age. And uh, so I said to one of the guys, let's do some throwing and catching skills. So we, we got them into a circle, which took forever. And, you know, I found that getting kids into a circle wherever you are in the world is an impossibility. Teachers, you know what I'm talking about. So, so we got them eventually into a circle. And he went in the middle with the ball and began to throw the ball to each child. And they'd throw it back. And, and uh, some were dropping it. And it was rolling out of the, the circle. And I'd walk around the outside, pick the ball up, throw it back in. And the kids were having so much fun. And then I noticed that there was a little boy. And uh, I guess he was about your age. And he just stood there. He had a long, uh, white sleeve, long sleeved white shirt and uh, just, just stood there. And he had a very sad expression on his face. And the ball came round and uh, it was thrown to him and it hit him on the chest and he fell, it fell to the floor. And it went round again and the same thing happened. He didn't even attempt to go for it. So I thought, well, let me, let me come and just come alongside him and give him some help here. So I came uh, next to him and I crouched down and he looked up at me with these very, very sad eyes. I said, hey, let's do this together, shall we? So I went to take his arms, in, his hands in mine and I realized he didn't have an arm in this sleeve. And his left hand, he only had three fingers. No wonder, no wonder he couldn't go for the ball. But do you know what? I literally became the right arm and the left hand of this little child. And together, we caught the ball. Together, we caught the ball and we were able to throw it back as well. And you should have seen his face. The smile that just lit up across his face, his eyes just shining now, because now he could join in. Now he was able to do what everybody else was doing. Now he was a part of the party and he was able to have fun as well because somebody had helped him. And, do you know, if you take that on a broader perspective, 
that when you invest in a child like Prosper, what a great name. I pray that that will be a self-fulfilling pro、uh, prophecy in his life, that he will prosper in every aspect of his being, education, health care,、uh, you know, growing up to be a man of God, you know, and、uh, turning other lives around as well. And little Rabbi here, she was three in September, he was seven in June. You know, to invest in children like that, you come alongside them and you're able to be that strong arm of support, that, that, that hand of, of, of help that they need to become all that God wants them to be, to be able to join in with the basics of life, to be able to have access to those things that we take for granted、uh, and help them to become a mover and shaker, help them to become A world changer in their own right. You know, as we approach Christmas, you know, we live in a very consumer society, don't we? But hey, how about just, you know, thinking, hey, what could we do that is broader? And as a church,、uh, as you partner with Togo,、uh, that's such a poor place, wouldn't it be amazing to see many, many children released from poverty in Jesus' name? Some of you already sponsor, you might want to sponsor another one. Thank you for what you're doing. Keep on sponsoring that child, won't you? Maybe some of you think, well, I can't afford 25 or soon to be 28, but I could do it with somebody else, maybe as a home group or, or whatever.、Uh, but today, there's 58 kids out on that table that need a friend, that need somebody who will invest in their life. Let's just pray together, shall we? Should we just stand as we sing our final song? Father, I pray that as we. Have shared this time and、uh, been in your presence today. Lord, that we would feel encouraged, that we would have hope today, and that we go from this place being encouraged in our faith. But Lord, we've also been challenged as we've heard about some of the needs in our world. Lord, would you speak to us and show us what we need to do, how we need personally to respond, whether it's to sponsor a child or whether it's just to be more grateful for the things that we've got. Maybe it's to live more simply so that others can simply live. Maybe it's to keep on doing something that maybe we thought, oh, what's happening with this? And not to give up on that thing, to keep on praying for that person,、uh, to keep on encouraging that teenager, to keep on、uh, witnessing to that friend at work or, or whatever it may be. Lord, I pray, would you just speak by your Spirit to every individual this morning? Thank you that you also see our needs. And I pray, God, that you would bring blessing and encouragement to each one. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.